do your due diligence, but don't don't die on it. You know, it, a lot of people invest so much time. And I think, um, you know, I, I've done it in the past myself where you just struggle to make that decision because it is a commitment. But at some point, you just need to pull the trigger and go with it. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Mark Lamberson. He's had an extensive career in the trades working on roles from journeyman, welder, foreman, project manager to estimator. Currently, he is the national VDC manager for Limbach Company. Mark is involved in technology implementation, fabrication, and standardization committees throughout Limbaugh. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks a lot, Todd. Appreciate it. So you've had uh, a lot of roles throughout uh, your career. How'd you get started in the construction industry? Uh, funny story there. Um, I was heading towards engineering, and um, as the ice fell on the table, my, uh, my stepdad had a small plumbing company, and uh, Southeast Michigan, and I needed some money. So I was sitting at the dinner table one night, and my stepdad said, hey, I just landed a big job with uh, a national food vendor, and we have 75 uh, restaurant remodels that I need help with, and maybe that'll get you from one job to the next. So I started plumbing in 1992 for him, um, uh, and just basically acting as an apprentice on the job sites, and you know, always figured that I would move on to something else, but here we are almost 30 years later. So um, it's been a great career and, you know, the everything that you read uh, that I've done in my career is just a testament to that and the reason that I stayed. So um, construction and plumbing has been my life for 30 years and it's been, it's been really good to me. That's awesome. What about it gripped you that you couldn't leave and <laughs> it stuck around? Yeah, I, you know, when I got into the apprenticeship program, uh, I went through um, Plumbers Local 98 in Detroit. And when I got in there and I started looking around at the opportunities that we had as tradesmen, um, I realized that there were a lot of things that we could do, you know. And I, the first one that I ran across really, I was on a, one project and I did an installation with my journeyman. And our superintendent came up and said, you know, I don't really care for how you guys did that. Everything was fine. But my preference is to do it this way. So he had us change it. And it's frustrating, you know, to, to have to tear out something that you did and you, you know, put your heart into and try to do your best job. I went to the next job and that foreman was using AutoCAD. And this was really early on. I mean, early 90s for the piping trades is pretty early. Yeah walk out in the morning and he'd hand me um, a, a, basically a ticket of the work we were going to perform that day. And I'd walk back into the job site and it'd have a little sketch on it, all 2D line drawings and CAD. And we do it and when we complete it, I'd take it back out and get the next one. It was like a quarter of a mile walk. So it was always me going to get it as the apprentice. But, <laughs> um, so I saw CAD as being just a great communication tool and had no idea where that industry would end up, you know, embedding itself into plumbing and piping and, you know, now all the other facets that we see. So um, I saw the opportunity and, and thought this could be a good fit for me, even though I never thought it would have been as I was growing up. Yeah, that's really cool. How do you think those roles really shaped your 
career today? Um, you know, to step through each of those roles, um, the, the field portion of it was, some of it was really exciting and it's fun to build things and see completion at the end of the day. The other part of that is it gets very disappointing to see where the field still is with regards to, um, you know, like cleanliness and stuff like that. We just came out mm -hmm. of a pandemic. And some of the, I think back to why I got out of the field and it was, you know, some of the bathroom facilities weren't, weren't the greatest things in the world. And I thought that's, that's not where I want to be at, you know? So, um, being there and experiencing that and what people have to go through. I mean, it's, it's priceless to be a person coordinating a job site or working in VDC and understand how things go together. And then as you step through each subsequent role as, you know, an assistant project manager or an estimator, you start to understand the little facets to each one of those jobs a little bit better. And, and that helps you in the current role that you're in and maybe provide some input. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what are some, trends in construction that you think are, are really here for the long haul, that they're, they're not just some flash in the pan? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the new coin term is industrialized construction. Obviously, that's here for the long haul. But, mm -hmm. you know, my experience has been here already for a long haul. And uh, as an apprentice and journeyman, uh, we were fabricating things a long time ago. And some of it wasn't as uh, major as what we do nowadays, but, um, you know, we were doing uh, bathroom groups and, and like uh, carrier assemblies and things like that. Back when I was getting into the trade, we were building those things and installing them. And now um, we're just seeing that going to the nth degree. And I think it'll just continue to, to grow. Um, I think also the data that we're producing in VDC, in the field, uh, through estimating, that stuff's all going to continue to be very important to mine and leverage that data in the future to become better and more streamlined. So I don't see that going anywhere. And also, um, all the applications that we're using to do that and do our other daily tasks, they don't talk that well to each other. So, you know, we're starting to see subcontractor level companies just hiring a tremendous amount of developers in order to make these things all talk together so that we can get the data that we need to do our jobs better. So I don't see like um, AI or that data mining really going anywhere. I think that it's going to intensify. Um, and then, you know, the last thing, I mean, these are low hanging fruits, but reality capture, XR technology, um, we leverage those at Limbach and I don't really see them going anywhere either. I think um, you know, when you look at laser scanning or reality capture, it's been around for a long time too. Uh, I wish we would have adopted it a little sooner, but I think that we adopted it at the right time for our company now that I can uh, look back in hindsight. And it's really helping us with these other things, you know, capturing data, industrialized construction, um, the XR technology with QC protocols and the ability to vet things out before we build them and, and waste money and time. Um, I, I just don't see them really going anywhere. I think that they're good investments for someone that hasn't looked into those options. And um, I think they'll just continue to grow and be easier to use. And I'll stop there. Yeah. Nice. So you've been able to be part of kind of various 
technology adoptions over your career. What kind of you know lessons learned have you had from those experiences on on really what should and then can be done with technology? Yeah, I think um, there there are quite a few steps there. You have to do your due diligence. Um, you need to you know look around and pick the best options that you see in the industry. Um, if the option's not there, then obviously you need to look internally and see if there's something that we can do uh, with developers or farm that out to other developers. So um, do your due diligence, but don't don't die on it. You know, it, a lot of people invest so much time, and I think um, you know I, I've done it in the past myself, where you just struggle to make that decision because it is a commitment. But at some point, you just need to pull a trigger and go with it. And whatever decision you make, you need to follow through. And um, I had a friend of mine, he's got a couple of phrases he coined. Some of them I can't put on the air here. <laughs> One that I can is NDS, no dead squirrels. You know, you always see that squirrel that runs across the street. And when he gets halfway across, he sees the car coming and he can't decide, should I stay or go? Or Yeah. That, that one ends up flat. So don't be the flat. I love that. <laughs> That's decision. awesome. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, and then once you make the decision, that doesn't mean you have to die by that either. Just make it and commit to it and continuously evolve. Uh, mm -hmm. Back and look at your decisions and, um, you know, make changes. You're going to not get it right the first time, undoubtedly, and it takes a while to implement. So circle back around, make changes to your process and continue to move forward. Um, and then listen to the people around you. Um, and that doesn't matter. It could be, you know, the newest apprentice on the job site and how things are working for them all the way up to, you know, maybe the CEO of the company and even his, his input on, on how things are working. Get input from everybody. You'll learn something from everyone. I think I found that is one of the things that has uh, intrigued me with this as well as, um, you know, as I get older, the new guys coming in have such a different perspective that you have to, you have to entertain that. I mean, you don't know everything and, and the perspective that they bring is truly valuable. So circle back with them, listen. And then in the end, just make sure that the tech that you're leveraging isn't self-serving. It's making things better for the people around you. So like I talked about the tradesmen before, make sure you're making their life better. They're your customer. And in my line of work in VDC, my customers, my foreman or my job site superintendents and, um, make sure that I'm making their life better with whatever decisions that I made. Don't make them struggle any harder because they already are struggling in the field to, you know, get things done with adverse weather and adverse conditions and things like that. We're all here to build things and uh, they're the, they're the boots on the ground. Create a common data environment for your team with 360 sync. 360 sync automatically transfers organized and archives project files across applications. It is the only way to automatically sync project files between your server, Procore, BIM360, Bluebeam, or any other platform you use. 360 Sync is the only document management system designed by and for the AEC industry. Users have automatically transferred over 1 million files and over 2 million syncs. Set it and forget it. Create a common data environment for your team today using 360 Sync. Visit asti.com slash 360 sync for more information.
Yeah. So what kind of mindset then is, is really required for that kind of consistent reevaluating of the technology and the, and the process that you have in place in order to have that goal of the continual improvement, like you mentioned? Yeah, I think you really need to be open with yourself and just realize that it doesn't matter what your background is, how long you've done this for, there's always something new to learn. Um, you know, I'm coming from an era in the trades where we were, and I know some areas of the com- country are still doing this, but, you know, we were pouring lead joints out in the field and um, pipe was heavy and labor was intense. And we're coming into this new era where, you know, the apprentices that I see now hit in the field, most of them have degrees or associate's degrees at a minimum, and they're highly technical. You know, a lot of the guys that uh, work for me, they flick the switch on uh, VDC and turn 90 degrees and they'll play games all night on, uh, you know, on their Xbox or home computer. There's just so much more technical than we ever were. And I think because of that, they have a great insight into how some of these things work and they have a, a really different view of maybe how things should be. And you just need to be open and honest with yourself and realize that no matter how seasoned you are, you don't, you don't know everything. And, and even if you're not in the same field, uh, listening to somebody else in a different, completely different line of work, it's, it's amazing what you can pick up from, you know, somebody that has no idea what you do, but has a perspective that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never think that you're the smartest in the room. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, another flavor to that too is a lot of these implementations that we've taken on, and we did a lot of implementing in the last couple of years. Um, when you start to feel nervous and feel like, am I doing this right? You know, maybe I got it wrong. You're probably actually in the right spot because you're just continuously questioning yourself, which just opens a door up for you to say, you know, reach out to, to one of your colleagues and say, hey, is this accomplishing what we set out for? And um, I, I just think that that's, that's the best approach for me anyways. Yeah. So I'm curious then, how is adopting technology? Well, what has that really taught you about teamwork? Teamwork is crucial. Um, mostly because I realize now that I'm representing my own perspective all the time. And my perspective isn't correct all the time. So um, I think that it's really crucial to get uh, an implementation team that's a great cross-section of your company, Uh field, involve your superintendents, involve uh, commissioning agents, engineers. And um, I I really respect that we've done that over the last couple of years, especially where we've got a cross-section of the company high to low really looking at what we're implementing and, and uh, looking at the deliverables and how it impacts the company as a whole. Um, so that you're not just saying, hey, Mark, you know, I know you work in VDC, implement this for me. And I only think of VDC. And I look at some of our uh, project management applications that we've looked at over the last few, uh, few years. And when I look at it, I'm, I'm uh, really great at the VDC and drawings and model side of that but to tell a project manager yeah the submittal part of this application is the best i don't know that i i can't go in and sell that to them because i really don't know so you need someone from uh you know that carries that perspective in order to make you're doing the right thing for your team yeah 
Absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of times that, you know, over the, the last two years, there's been a lot of uh, changes happening with yeah. all the disruption. Uh, how has it changed the way that you approach technology or, or even the way that you have leveraged tech over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, um, when COVID happened and we were all told to go home, uh, we weren't a full Revit enabled company. We were uh, bits and pieces, uh, you know, we had 10 branches nationwide and a few of the branches were fully vetted in Revit, but most of us weren't. And it was mainly because we had uh, mega projects going on in some areas of the country and we weren't really able to take the time to train or even adopt Revit on a uh, you know, massive project. And so some of us lagged behind and it was mostly the jobs that were, that were large that were lagging behind. So we, one transition that we made, we changed the whole company over to Revit. And that was a big learning curve. It still is a really big learning curve. I mean, you're talking about like me, for example, I've got almost 30 years with AutoCAD and I'm completely changing the way I do things. Yeah. And um, that's really caused me to reflect on how you learn and look at how other people learn. Uh, I, I realized some pretty significant trends with my guys as we've implemented Revit. Um, you immediately blame the tool, right? It's, it's always Revit's fault that things don't work and you can't see them. And so I've been watching it for the last year uh, very intensely. And at first it's the tool's fault. And then a few months in, you start to realize that the guys are picking it up and it's becoming less a tool's fault. Now it's more of a, you know, this minor function's fault. This function doesn't work now in the tool. And then six months in, it became, um, they started to realize that it was more user error and maybe our own processes than the actual tool. And now finally, you know, we come full circle one year later and I really see the implementation as, as taken off and we're starting to glean the, um, you know, the benefits of, of the tool now. And, um, you know, a lot of it's still painful. Uh, Revit doesn't necessarily do everything that we needed to do to support our fab shops and our fields. So now, you know, here we are, we're calling applied software for help. And we're, um, we use several third-party applications bolted onto Revit in order to make it function. Um, Evolve's one of them. And uh, we're really happy with, with the tool. And I'm very glad that we have the people in the application development industry that are supporting us through that implementation too. So, um, so I guess that's one thing, you know, uh, we, we shifted over to Revit as part of this last couple of years. Then you have the online meetings, right? Everybody's gonna bring that up. And so it's a constant battle with how to become more productive during the online meetings and uh, make them engaging. Um, so that's, that's always a struggle. And anytime I see something popped up on LinkedIn that says, uh, here's how you can run a more productive uh, web meeting, I usually am downloading that and reading that because um, it's, it's a difficult thing. You know, and we've been doing it, most of us have been doing it in the BDC industry for a long time, working with you know, WebEx and GoToMeeting and, and Zoom and all these things, but there's always a way to make it better. And we mm -hmm. all the pains that we felt sitting there with the camera in front of us too. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I think, you know, last, the, the changes that we've seen over the last two years, some of the tech that we've adopted in the past has also struggled 
to really grasp a hold of the new environment. So for example, mixed reality, um, we had a really big push on mixed reality um, pre-COVID. And now I can't get in front of a customer or a team of people with you know a set of goggles to put them on their heads. And, and the funny thing I noticed was when I do get in front of customers or uh, owners or other stakeholders in these projects, and I go to hand them that HoloLens and slip it on their head, they're kind of looking at it like, hey, the guy next to me was just wearing that. So I'm carrying alcohol swabs around and wiping the thing out. And, you know, it's just a different mindset now. I mean, it's, it's, it's changed on so many different levels. It's, it's amazing. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the, the way you described the um, kind of implementation curve, I, I thought that was spot on and the journey that it takes. I think that's a, a problem that people come into when they're adopting and implementing new tech is that they they think once they sign on the dotted line for the tech, then poof, magically, everything is is perfectly set up and they're surprised by that. Uh, journey that you described and, and laid out that it, yes. it really does take that year kind of process to get comfortable with it and to start to learn the the new workflow because you're you're not only learning a new technology you're learning how to kind of think differently about it as well too right and as you're adopting this technology you know i always like to put myself in other people's shoes and i try to do that as much as possible i mean if there was one takeaway I would suggest everybody do that. You know, I mean, it's kind of an old misnomer and- um, But it's effective. <laughs> it's very effective. And so when when you grab a new tool that someone else built and you're gonna bolt this onto your current workflow, that person built that with their perspective and tried to get things right the best that they could, but mm -hmm. every company is different. Limbox not the same as the next company in the next town over. We all do things differently. So to actually, you know, put the keys in and turn them and expect it to drive exactly the way that you want it, you need to you need to take that into account too. And there's got to be a process in place to really build out uh, that tool and make sure that it's working properly for your company. These application developers are not uh, looking at your company uh, in depth when they're building these things. It's not their fault, and um, you need to be aware that it's going to take some time to get that tool and the workflows within it to, to function properly for what you're looking to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Don't blame, don't blame the tech guy. <laughs> uh, well, circling back to the transition to Revit, kind of what was the, the genesis of that? And then you guys have been leveraging Evolve in that process as well too. Love to hear, you know, different kind of standout aspects of that process for you. Yeah, so, um, the evolution of Revit here, so, like I say, some of the branches adopted it very early. Um, I've always been one that kept a close eye on it. We spent a tremendous amount of money uh, a little over a decade ago 
on how we do VDC. And um, we learned from that. So as we started to look at Revit, I was a little bit more cautious um, this go around with how do we implement this tool? It's going to be costly. And I took a more cautious approach, but we did have people in the industry or, or in our groups that, that adopted it. And then we were able to pulse in with them and say, you know, how are you doing with that? How is this working? Share that tool with me. Let me take a look at that. You know, whether it's a dynamo script or, you know, recommending another add-on. So I've kept my eyes on it. I've actually been taking Revit classes for almost 10 years and I've only been using it for about a year. So um, I've, I've always watched it, but I just took a more cautionary approach to it. But the really, like you say, the genesis of this was a few years ago, we weren't using Revit. And we started to see on the Eastern Seaboard, we have quite a few offices and there started to be kind of an increase in demand for Revit only projects. Um, Meanwhile, in the Midwest, which I'm based near Detroit, um, we started to see the same thing kind of happening. We do a lot of design assist work in the office that I was involved in before. So the communication piece between us and the engineer was getting a little bit more strained because we're still in AutoCAD. And so I'm like, this is just a necessary evil here to, to make this switch now. We have to do it. And it started to reflect um, in some of the comments that we would hear the customers make about why aren't you in Revit yet, you know, and so the disappointment there, I mean, we're a, a leading firm and to not be, uh, you know, the, the preferred company because of something as simple as that, in some instances, um, I just decided it was necessary and I made my case and we assembled a group to implement. So, um, it's worked out very well, but where we really found out that it was going to be a problem is pushing into our pipe fab shops and especially our sheet metal fab shops. So we've tested a lot of a lot of add-ons. Uh, I've gone to a lot of training on the different add-ons, and we circled back to Evolve because the tools in Evolve, most of the tools we need are in one spot. I don't have to go between three or four different applications and uh, grab different tools. So, um, you know, they're, each tool that we've checked out, all have, they all have their uh, benefits and we do use multiple tools, um, but Evolve, because they have it, you know, most things in one package, it has really helped us out with, um, you know, I mean, the, the latest issue that we have is, the addition of uh, parameters to make these things function for us, Revit, and the ability to push things in the fab shops. And with all the parameters being added to these, uh, these models, the more third-party apps that you have, the more parameters are getting added and now the slower these models are running. And these are pretty intense models. So um, the fact that we pared it down to basically one main uh, modeling tool with uh, evolve bolted onto Revit. And then uh, we kind of slice and dice things other ways when we go into fab shops in certain instances, but um, it's been great. And I think the one thing I would say about the applied team with Evolve was a year ago, I looked at it, it was expensive. Um, you know, we had 50 some detailers and I'm looking at the cost of Evolve and I, I just thought, man, I can't see how it's worth it compared to some of the other tools that do similar functions and I can bolt multiple tools together to do the same thing 
and probably come out a little bit ahead on the dollar uh, value. But um, once we got into it and, and you keep people in one spot, it just, it streamlines things. And my hat's off to uh, Brett Stacks, especially for, um, he, he reached out to me and he said, hey, we wanna help you guys implement this and we're gonna partner up with you for three months and really walk you through in depth on what Evolve does. I didn't know everything that it did and that's my fault. So um, when he took us on a couple of deep dive uh, go-to meetings and, and really looked into what it did, I was like, wow, this is a little bit more uh, uh, complete than what I thought it was. You know, it's not just these, these separate apps that live all over the map. Um, it does a lot of things for the price that we're paying. So I, you know, after those first couple of meetings, I really, really listened in intently um, with what we were being told. And we implemented it. We tested it out for three months. We were happy with the results. I've got um, a small implementi implementation and support team within my group now that, um, you know, basically vets issues out, does the setup. There is a lot of setup in there, which uh, applied really good with helping us get that going. I honestly think if you guys didn't go to the links that you did, I probably would still be in the same uh, mindset that I was a year ago where was this really doing for that much money? But um, no, it's been great. I, I use it myself. Um, I do try to grab little jobs here and there uh, and, and A, help out with the workload for my guys and B, I, I want to understand the tools too. So that I can make the best decisions as we move forward. And I've been really happy with it. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is, there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place, and there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. That's awesome. It's the partnership aspect of it is it's one of the things I really admire about Brett and his team that not only do they they talk a big game about the really coming around clients and, and partnering with them and, and making sure that they get everything, all the support that they need, that they really do back it up. They take that partnership aspect of it incredibly seriously. Yeah. We've made some really good relationships with uh, um, some people that evolved or, or, and applied that we didn't know before. And I've known Brett for a long time. Um, so that, that conversation was easy, but um you know, the guys behind the, the, the curtain that are putting that together and they, they really did, work with us over the last year. We're still talking to them about, um, you know, uh, new initiatives that we have, new initiatives that, that Applied has. And um, it has truly been a partnership. I mean, a lot of people say they'll deliver that and they, they fall short. And this one, I, I really feel was.
That's awesome. Well, Mark, if you could innovate one aspect of the industry, what would you pick? Um, I thought about this question. <laughs> I've, I've got a couple. Um, I've, I've touched on one already, uh, which is the field aspect of it. It's not really an innovation. So, you know, here we are, we're, tra- we're talking about we've hired developers in the company and we're making these applications to integrate our tech stack and, and do all these things to, to deliver this data. And then meanwhile, I look at some of my old field partners and friends out in the field. And I mean, they're still, you know, they still have the same facilities that I had back in the 90s. So how innovative can we get and, and leave behind? We need to make things better for the field. And it's so I say it's not really an innovation, but maybe a different way of thinking, too. I mean, we just can't can't leave them behind. I mean, when you look at the pandemic, whether you believe in it or not, something happened there. It was dangerous. People have died. And we can all sit behind these cameras and say we did our part. You know, we worked our way through a pandemic. But I didn't have to go and put my boots on and walk around with a couple hundred people on a major job site and deal with that fear that you're carrying this around or taking it home to your family in those early days. So, you know, how do we make things better for them too? I understand making the workflows better, making things easier to install and get the data. But um, I just, I always look at that and how can I do things better? And industrialized construction obviously is, is one area that we can do that where we can pull some of that labor from the field, move that into a shop where it is a cleaner, safer environment Um, and so if we can do that and these tools and functions are the way that we can go about that, then, then so be it. But it's always, always keep an eye on the guys out there. They're, they're our customers and they're the ones building this stuff and they're putting themselves a lot more in harm's way than we ever are in, in the office that I work at. So, um, that's number one. Um, secondly, um, you know, I've got. Um, improve the collaboration between all the applications that we use. And when you talk about all the different project management applications and um, I mean, the, the scanning and reality capture, all that stuff, all these different apps that we have to use today. I think we did a, a study a couple of years ago on our tech stack at the time was 99 different apps that we were using. And they don't talk to each other that well. You know, our ERP software doesn't talk to um, some of the the other apps that we're using. And it's just, how do we make that better? Um, And I get it, you know, like some of the big giants, I'm I'm stumbling over the words because I don't want to bring names up, but some of the giant tech companies, they want to work together, I think, and then they don't want to work together. And that's left for us to resolve. So one innovation is kind of like the IFC file. How do we make these things talk together in more standard format uh, so that we can get the best data for our company out of it and possibly help that guy in the field too? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's more of a concise um, uh, improvement that I would see, you know, an in innovation. Um, the last one, and this is kind of the one where people probably think I'm running for office or something like that. Um, you can give your political speech here now. That's, go for it. <laughs> no, no politics, no politics, but... <laughs> You know, one of the things that I saw, and this is my personal belief, is the uh, when the pandemic hit, and again, whether you believe in it or not, uh, and all, all the issues that we see like on the planet, and it, it, in my opinion, 
you know, I focus more on the U.S. than anything, and we see like these major catastrophes and disasters. Um, I, I I hold Colorado very near and dear to my heart, and the wildfires that I see out there, and the water struggles that they're having in the Southwest. I look at that, and I think, how can we help? And then, so when you saw the pandemic flare up, it blew my mind to see how barriers were torn down between industries. And as a, uh, a case in point, so my brother is a designer for one of the big three and I'm, he, he works for Ford. And he called me up one day and he said, I'm going to a meeting with General Motors right now because they're looking at how to construct these, you know, these respirators, these uh, the ventilators that they were going to build. And he knew I, I do a lot of healthcare work. So he was asking me some questions about it. And then he went into a meeting and he came out. He called me back and he said, you know, I went through it. It was one of the most awful things that they, we talked to people in the first responders industry from New York and it was terrible, a terrible phone call. And how do we help these people? So he's working with GM and other, you know, automotive uh, suppliers on how they're going to build these ventilators. And meanwhile, Limbach picks up a COVID response center and I'm working on the, the plumbing installation and design of that. And we think we're getting ventilators from that are being produced on an assembly line from General Motors. So I'm on a phone call with a guy at GM asking him what the oxygen demand is going to be on one of these ventilators so that we make sure that we've got a tank farm big enough outside of this convention center that we're, you know, making a COVID response center from. And we were firing on all cylinders. We were building an 1100 bed response center. Uh, in 15 days. And we did it. Um, it ended up getting tuned down to 250 beds. But there were other uh, contractors in our area that built, you know, 11 to 1200 bed facilities in two weeks. And it was because the industry was really working together. So I look around and I think, how do we get to that point again? I mean, it was exciting. And I put 100 hours in um, uh, each week over those two weeks. And to me, it was the most valuable 100 hours that I put into my career. And so now we see these other things, um, you know, other areas of concern that pop up, like uh, the wildfires and flooding and things like that, uh, you know, water issues. And I always look at that, especially as a plumber. And um, uh, one of the internal uh, projects that we have right now is we call it indoor agriculture. A lot of people laugh about that. You know, they think, oh, it's a, a pot farm, you know, you're, you're making an indoor grow facility. What's the big deal? Well, when you think about the implications of being able to build this, these indoor facilities and now start to incorporate leafy green vegetables into the process, you could take a facility like this and pop it up anywhere on this planet in some of the most harsh and extreme conditions and grow food for people. That's pretty exciting to me. And that's where if I could innovate anything, I think that would be number one. And the other two that I brought up would probably start to slip by the wayside. But how do we, you know, how do we help each other in some of the other industries that we're not even a part of, like the firefighters out west or the people that are struggling to get clean water? How do we get to the point where we're helping them out with some of the knowledge that we have and vice versa? Always keep your ears open. They, they'll probably teach us something about our industry too. Yeah, man, those have to be some of the, the three best answers to that question that I've ever gotten. So <laughs> thanks for so much there. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, 
Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> you got me speechless here. Uh, well, how do people connect with you and, and find out more information? Yeah, reach out to me anytime. Um, my uh, email address is mark.lamberson at limbachinc.com. And um, I'm sure Todd, you'll be able to share that somewhere. Uh, yeah. but reach out to me anytime. I'm on LinkedIn too. You can uh, look me up there and, and hit me up and uh, have a conversation. I'm, I'm all ears. Nice. Mark, final question for you. What does innovation mean to you? <laughs> uh, that's a funny one, actually, Todd, because uh, someone told me a couple of years ago that innovation actually means unproven technology. So it's, it's, uh, it can be construed as a bad thing. Um, innovation to me, I mean, it is, it's unproven, but it's also an opportunity. So uh, that's, that's how I look at it. You know, be careful with it because it, it can be weaponized. <laughs> It, it can turn negative, but it's an opportunity and you, you need to keep your eyes on it and leverage it. Nice. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining us today. This was, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Todd. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity too. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, when it comes to technology, it is so important to take time for due diligence. However, don't get stuck in the analysis paralysis. Mark had a great reference on NDS, no dead squirrels, which speaks to this. Second take, give yourself grace because you are most likely not going to get it right the first time. It really is a journey. Teamwork is a crucial element to successful technology implementation. This includes cross industrial teamwork as well, like Mark talked about at the end of our conversation. And final take, be open to different perspectives because everyone has a unique vantage point that they can really help to ensure success. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor applied software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.